0: Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry.
1: And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And, of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children.
0: Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful.
1: Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Korean American Parenting. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. If you listen to us all the time, welcome back. Um, We are finishing up May. Um, You are listening to this um, as our last episode in May of 2021 in in what has been a historic Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. But oftentimes you forget that May is also Mental Health Awareness Month. And so uh, my partner, Jang, uh, as many of you know, or if you're new, uh, this is news to you, but she's a child psychiatrist. And so uh, w- we talk about mental health um, as, as a part of our conversation in most of our episodes. But today we wanted to focus uh, a little bit more specifically on the topic, um, particularly as it relates to our community and our role um, as in, in the parenting world. So, Jang, um, let's, uh, let, let's talk about it and we'll start off with the, how are you doing and, and how was May, how has May been for you?
1: Hi Terry. Um, uh, well, May has been a very interesting month. I think um, traditionally it's a very uh, uh, busy month for for me. I'm sure it is for you. Um, it being Asian American um, Pacific Islander Heritage Month, that coincides with Mental Health Awareness Month, but it is also a month where a lot of my uh, students, uh, young adults, go through. Um, They are running towards the end of school, which, um, with finals and all, which means they're stressed, which means I get busy. (laughs) Um, so yeah, um, it's been a busy month, but I am glad it's coming to an end. And hopefully it's been a pretty productive month for you too.
0: It's been a wild month for me. It's been my busiest month, um, overall as a professional in, in memory, but particularly, uh, as an entrepreneur since i started working for myself um what what i am uh encouraged by is so many organizations and schools who are making space and also investing in these conversations for not only their asian american employees but for other people to understand what our experience is like um and i think as as parents as many of us who are parents understand gets more complicated when you become a parent, it gets more complicated at the intersectionality of whether it's your profession or other things. And ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think um, a lot of the things that we have to unlearn or continue to talk about when it comes to cultural norms or things that we experience in the workplace um, are really rooted in principles of of mental health that I think we also um, have been conditioned not to talk about as much. Um, based on what our grandparents and our parents went through and um, the feelings of guilt, shame, and perhaps all all these things considered. And so i um, really looking forward to this discussion that we're going to have today. Um, and, you know, would love to hear your your thoughts on, you know, what uh, we want to share with our audience today, Jang.
1: Yeah, no. So I wanted to um, take this last uh, week, uh, last episode of May to talk about actually Asian American mental health, which is kind of what I do day in and day out. Um, it is my day job um, because it is such a topic that has traditionally not been talked about. Um, and not many people know a lot about uh, mental health um, in general, but also like how to get into treatment and whatnot. I, I think um, in the past couple of years, there has been a lot of talks and people have been more interested and in, people like Asians for Mental Health, uh, like Jenny, um, has been really a big advocate um, for everybody. And so I, I am so glad to see that. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I do uh, do is to talk about um, Asian American teens and um, children and their mental health. And I um, always say, Asian American what? <laughs> because, Nobody really talks about it um, among our community, but also outside of our community, nobody really talks about it. And I think it's um, partially um, because of the stigma on mental health within the community, but also it really coincides with our model minority myth um, of uh, Asian Americans, where we are supposed to be, you know, like the model minority who don't really get sick or who don't have mental health problems because we do well in life. Um, and my question to you is Like, Do you really believe that? Is that true? What do you think?
0: I mean, I think it really stems from, I think, from my personal perspective, of audacity and of it's this weird intersection of audacity and survival. So I think we think about privilege, right? Like, um, I, I'll, it's not mental health, but let will quit it with this. So I think many of us remember um, our grandparents, particularly, telling us to eat everything in our bowl. Eat everything on our plate, right? Because for them, it was why wouldn't you eat? We grew up at a time when food was so scarce. And for you all, it's so bountiful, but why wouldn't you eat it? We we eat to survive and you're eating with privilege. And I think that's the same thing with when we talk about mental health. For them, literally for our grandparents who were born in occupation, lived through the war, lost friends and family, uh, witnessed some stuff that we can never imagine, Than our parents being born in a very poor country and having to survive really through education, they didn't have the opportunity or the luxury to think about these things because that was a privilege, but also it would dig up an unearth trauma that they didn't really want to talk about. And so mix that with the fact that they immigrated here and they're trying to navigate this new system and this world and... Even in your case, even if you didn't come with your parents, you're trying to navigate the system in this world and what is normal and what is expected, what can I do? And I think we're just sort of in this then like, don't don't just talk about it, right? The norm then goes to silence because where are you going to go, right? Like I, I went to, um, uh, in college after uh, I was going through some stuff after a weird, ugly relationship thing, uh, I mustered up the courage or just out of frustration or just out of lack of what the hell do I do now went to the school counseling center to go talk to somebody I didn't tell anybody I did that because there was still this like especially as a dude this sort of why can't you figure it out like shouldn't you figure it out yourself because we also live in America and in the Korean context of this macho man syndrome of like you know, men are supposed to be strong enough to figure stuff out for themselves. And what I don't think the sessions helped, because it was an old white person. And it was just, you know, I don't know, I don't think it helped. But even it's not, that's not important. The fact that I didn't really share with my friends that I was doing it. um, And still, you know, think about it in that way, I think is also telling to the way that we were raised uh, to not talk about it. And that became not only the expectation but your first option is nothing
1: i think your your story um has a lot of layers of um uh, of uh why people don't go into uh to uh obtain mental health treatment um and, um, well, number one, um, uh, the fact that, um, you know, you talk about shame and guilt and not wanting to talk about it with others, um, that there's a lot of stigma on, um, within yourself and within our community. Um, also it talks about, you know, sexism, right? How, um, how boys are supposed to, uh, uh, be raised. The boys don't cry. Um, and that is both in Eastern and the Western culture. But at the same time, you just, skim through and kind of pass by it about um, the counselor being white old men. Um, I think it's also something that is actually very important in terms of mental health, because there's so little of us, um, the Asian Americans in uh, mental health realm. And it is so hard um, to find somebody who can be culturally sensitive um, and competent to provide that care that the um, um Korean Americans or Asian Americans need, um, uh you know, I always say that, you know, a non-Asian American therapists can help you. But sometimes it does put burden on the client or the patient to be to uh, needing to uh, explain every single thing about their upbringing. And um, that's a lot to put on on the person who's already stressed right and and um there has to be a way to um um spread the uh this education to to the uh, to the non-asian therapists to be able to be culturally sensitive and that is very difficult so that's one of the barriers too but if i talk about it you know one of the things that we 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 kind of um assume is that well our kids do really well in life you know um and uh, uh, it also means that people um, people feel like, um, you know we don't really need to think about these things. Um, as a clinician uh, and and a person who's driven by data, I can tell you that it is actually the opposite. Um, so, um, actually, the data that people ex- that are out there um, that that is very prevalent, but people don't really read and talk about it is that. Um, despite what many people think, Asian-Americans actually have the highest rates of depression, social anxiety, and suicidal thoughts and suicidal attempts. So did you know that girls between 15 and 24 years old, Asian-Americans have the highest rates of suicidal death among all racial ethnic groups? so our children our young adult children die the most by killing is themselves.
0: that is that a percentage number or is that a raw number percentage like a
1: um so 14.1% of asian uh, uh, in, uh, whereas compared to white americans 9.3% okay. um and and um, hispanic 7.4% this is girls um aged 15 to 20 uh 24 years old
0: Do they go into why or what? Are, what are your thoughts? You know, on- they
1: don't go into why. Um, they they do not go into why. Um, but actually, also um, uh, one of the data that I also um, have people look at is so despite this like huge, huge, um, you know, um, percentage of people who are actually attempting suicidal um, suicidal attempts or actually uh, being successful in their attempts um it's also a very known fact that Asian American youth are least likely to utilize mental health services so I think you can infer that even if the kids are even if the kids are suffering they don't tend to come into the treatment so then what is the result right
0: how much of that do you think is based on familial or, um cultural conditioning versus peer stuff too. Cause I think a lot of the times, if you have friends who would encourage you to go seek help and I think we see a little bit more of that now where people applaud somebody for reaching out for help. There's a lot of encouragement to do that. I mean, 15 to 24 is a vulnerable age, right? Where yeah. it's already hard as it is without any of this external stuff. Um,
1: i think there's multiple reasons for this um, um well number one is that um uh so a lot of the kids um that i see both you know asian and non-asians the uh, the referral comes from the schools because school is uh you know equipped to like check on their children and students and make sure that uh, they don't um let the students fall through the cracks but the um kind of the most common signs of um is uh, you know middle schoolers and high schools and young adults and college students um, having symptoms of depression, anxiety is their grades full of things, right? Their grades decreasing very drastically. Um, um, unfortunately, I think Asian American kids um, sometimes that's the last thing to go, um, and uh, and this is very um, very different um, in a way that I've learned about, you know, children and young adult um, depression, anxiety that for Asian Americans particularly. Um, Schoolwork, or even like work um, for young adults, uh, the functioning of um, their work is actually the last thing that'll be impacted by their anxiety and depression. Um, I think, it, I mean, obviously, because that's the number one priority a lot of times for for Asian Americans.
0: I, I I think that's sad because we we've we collectively, I think, have put this expectation that. Academic performance, professional achievement, and these goals should supersede you feeling okay. And so, even when they're not feeling okay, there's this, but I have to finish, right? Because, again, I don't want to crap on an entire generation of parents who are obviously very well intentioned and want the best for us. But that, even, that probably does it not add even more on their plate of trying to suppress what they're feeling. And trying to maintain at least a facade that everything is okay through grades at least, that they don't want to sound the alarm bells or they're just so afraid of their grade sleeping. Like that that's I, I feel sad when I when I hear that because who gives a crap about a grade when you're not doing okay? I really
1: well, I, I agree with you, but I think a lot of times these kids don't even know that they're depressed. Um you know they some, and, and this is exactly why I, you know, when we talked about in the beginning of uh, beginnings of our uh, podcast, we talked a lot about like emotion identification, emotion expression for young children, because a lot of times uh, these older children don't even realize that they're actually depressed um, or anxious um, because sometimes they, they're unable to read their own uh, emotions. And it's not um, sometimes parents' fault either to not be able to realize your child might be suffering. A lot of times I've had patient uh, patient come in with their parents, and the chief complaint would be like, you know, I feel like she, you know, you know my child has become lazy. Like it takes her, you know, uh, up until midnight to start any kind of work, and it takes her hours just sitting on in the, on the desk trying to start the work, and she just doesn't. But actually the word she just doesn't isn't correct. She can't is the correct word, right? Um, if, whether it's anxiety or depression is really driving them, um, especially the ones who have done well before. Um, and, and there's some uh, block you know, that is um, weighing them down. And so there has to be some, uh, some education, but also perspective shifting on these children.
0: Let's talk about what you just shared too, which I think is um, parents speaking for their kids when it comes to the analysis of what's going on. Um, What can parents do better? Because I I think in that sense of like, okay, she can't, but it's being interpreted as being lazy or just frustrated that she's taking longer. Um, Obviously, it's more complex, especially when you're, uh, in high school, when you don't really have the ability to go seek some of these services yourself. Um, you know, I, I remember I, a friend reached out who works at a university and she said, I have a student who really wants to talk to somebody, but she doesn't want, she's scared she can't pay for it because her insurance is with her parents and she doesn't want them to know because of the fear. And I feel like, a, a, a conversation that perhaps might be really good for parents to hear, or at least some words of advice is what is the best way to let the kids express themselves without judgment? Because I think as parents too, um, some of us more than others, we have this instinctive need to be fixers that we see something and we're like, Oh, I'll take care of that for you. You know, right. And when it comes to these tough topics, we shouldn't. We we should let them at least attempt to explain their own expressions or express their own feelings. Um, but it's hard, especially even when people come to see folks like you, doctors, who pays the bill, who facilitates it, right? Like, who can And so I, I think it adds certain, so much more complexity in the way that young folks can express themselves. Um, partially, yeah, because the American healthcare system sucks and the way that you know, but like, what are your thoughts there? Like based on your engagements and interactions with, with those are like,
1: those are like five questions in one. We got, we got, we got all day, but (laughs) but I think it's, but I think it's
0: important because that builds when, when parents speak for kids, I think that's the worst thing that they can do because then the kids get more resentful of, you don't know me. And you're trying to fix it in a way that you don't like, I'm not lazy. I, I, I don't know what my block is. But if you if the anchoring is laziness and frustration over the time that it takes to complete an academic task, then.
1: Well, so, you know, I think I I hear your frustration, but I think um, I don't think it's the parents fault to think that that's a laziness. It's actually my job as a clinician who is culturally sensitive and competent to um, to let the parents know that it is not laziness so that they can learn. Um, so give, it, give, them, give them opportunity to learn what is really going on. Um, so it's, I, I don't put that on the pa- parents. Um, I, I think um, it's important to, uh, as a clinician, I think it's important for me to um, think of them as a unit, um, parents and the child, and that they're actually, they are struggling together it's not that the parents know everything or don't know everything or not seeing everything. It's just, you know, parents are parents for the first time and they don't know, right? So coming from that framework, um, and and I, I have had, you know, 15, 20 years of training to see it in a different light. And my job, it is my job to um, be able to bridge that to the parents. So that's number one. Number two is, I think, um, um, you know, um, what par- can parents do um, is, well, number one, having the communication channel open. I think that's the most number one thing that I think about, uh, where if a child or a young adult child is suffering, you want them to come to you and tell you that they're not doing very well. Um, the last thing you want is for them to hide it. So how do we have that channel open is um, when the kids come and say like, I'm really having a hard time or or whatever, I think um, sometimes the number one reaction you have is like this, like you're right, like this like urge to fix it, (laughs) right? And and sometimes it comes out as like loud voice and like, what is wrong? And um, kids may um, perceive that as anger towards them, right? And so then that, that, that makes them not want to talk to you um, or bring issues with you. So um, suppressing that is very important for the parents. Also, um, you know, fixing, let's, fixing it is not your job. I think um, the reason people uh, run to the fixing the problem is because it's very anxiety provoking for a parent to know that your child is. Suffering, um, and you—it's very uncomfortable for you to know that I have to hold space where my child continues to suffer, right? Um, um, but you have to let them do the work um, while you, f- while the parent, parent he or she, uh, herself might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable and anxious about your child.
0: Yeah, I. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think the other part too that I think um, I'm curious about is the people, the parents who at least come see you or seek other professional help. I would say is in a very, very, very small minority. Whether it is by choice or by ability to afford, or the you know be based on their um, healthcare situation too. Um, and so there are countless of not just Asian American, but, you know, a lot of a lot of young folks who don't ever even get to have that conversation with their parents, maybe their parents are busy running their business, and they're on survival mode, or, you know, um, they're not physically present, for whatever reason. And so like, I, I think, one of the things that um, I hope, you know, we see all these statistics, right, like, It's not good, Um, but but I hope the more we talk about it, the more we sort of normalize it, the more we um, applaud and celebrate people who are being vulnerable and sharing their stories. Um, I I don't know, because I don't think there's one thing that we can say or do or, you know, listening to this episode might help some people, but we're not going to solve an entire community's, you know, lack of talking about it. Um, But I also think for, you know, if, if you happen to be, um. obviously, well, maybe if you happen to be a younger person listening to this or, you know, you're a younger parent who still is thinking about the way that our parents treated us, I think it's also equally important to think about, you know, what their exposure was to talking about mental health. And even if they or to even think that, do they even know that this is something that they can get help about or to talk about? Because our grandparents didn't do any of that. They couldn't, they didn't know, right?
1: But you know, one of the things that also is important to note um, that um, immigrant studies on the immigrant um, population shows that um, historically uh, anxiety and depression rates are much higher in, um, for second generation immigrants, not the first generation. And so um, I think it's really important that all, um, I think I assume that our listeners are sometimes 1.5 and second generation um, immigrants. And I want, I want uh, our parents that are listening to check your own pulse, right? And check your own, um, um, where your mental state is. Obviously with COVID and kids staying home and all this stuff, I think there's definitely um, some decline in it. In it. And even if it's, if it's not to the point where like you need a therapist or a psychiatrist, I think it's important to check to make sure that your, your head is in a good place. Um, because I think of myself as the pillar, right? Like, like we talk about how we're sandwiched between like, you know, our parents and our children. Um, and it, I think that if, if my, my mental health Um, declines, then all of my family dynamics or structure will fall in a way. So I want to be a good, productive um, part of my family dynamics. And in order to do that, I do have to check, make sure that I'm doing okay.
0: Yeah. and, And I, you know, as we have spent, many young people have spent Uh, the majority of the last year, whether they were in high school without the ability to go physically to school for periods of time, no activities, no socialization, um, many college campuses being closed. So kids are, young adults are studying from home. And even now as um, schools are, are closing down their campuses for the summer break and most internships are remote and therefore You know, there's there's been a lot of cohabitating. Um, There's been a lot of um, more more people under the same roof, um, even though as we try to navigate away from uh, COVID things. So I think it's gonna, you know, the data will probably follow, right? It will trail what we've experienced and what we know to be true is that at least in the short term, it's gonna not get any easier. Um, Obviously, not not scientific and just personal storytelling, but you know, there's a high school student that I mentor out here in LA and. he just he says it's so hard because there's so much conflict and many of his friends are depressed and they're you know um unfortunately sometimes just partaking in very risky behavior because they just don't feel like they have a way out sometimes and it's really hard to hear uh, because on paper these kids live in an area that is very wealthy these kids are great on paper and you know there's again these typical signals are um Signs that something might be amiss don't exist in many of our children because they're good at covering their tracks in a way. Because how, how do you know, right? Like, um, And because of also social media's tendency for people to want to keep uh, appearances up, people don't really share how they're feeling. Everything is hunky-dory and everything is good. If your grades are good and you seem happy on social media, people don't think anything's wrong. Only when something bad happens or people vent or people you know express themselves and people just sound shocked and so um yeah i I, I don't know um I, I you know I have no idea what to say <laughs> but you know I, I I see these things, I hear these things, and um yeah it and it's my our children are, are so young that we don't have to really worry about this stuff quite yet. Um, But I I often think about how I want to raise my kids and to encourage them to uh, express themselves and not fear what we might say or think for simply expressing their own opinions or feelings.
1: I think it's just, um, you know, where it starts is to normalize when when a person talks about uh, what we perceive as a negative feeling. Um, and that's okay to talk about what you don't feel good about. Right? Um, I think that's, that's where the stigma uh, is lessened when you talk about, well, today I've been feeling sad. Or, um, you know, talk about your struggles. And you don't have to spin it in a positive way. I think it's important for um, kids to learn that there are going to be days that are down. There are going to be days where picker upper isn't working <laughs> um, and that's okay. Life goes on. Um, I, th- I think that is the number one thing that I want to emphasize. Um, Cause when it's worse, when you think that everybody else's life is hunky dory all the time and you're not feeling that way inside, then you, are bound to hide it, right? So kind of validating how they feel and normalizing that, you know, it does happen. Um, I have, you know, talking about privileges, I have a lot of um, uh, kids and students that come in and they're having a lot of sad feelings or anxiety feelings. And, um, And then in addition to just not feeling great, they feel guilty for feeling that way because the message from others, but also message from themselves is well, I have it really great in my life. So why should I feel sad? But I am feeling sad. So I, I'm, I'm feeling so guilty for feeling this way. Um, you know, everybody has sad days, whether you have hundred million dollars or $2 in your pocket. Um, and I, I wanna validate that.
0: Yeah, and, and I hope we get to a point in our Society, particularly within our own uh, community and our culture, where we separate happiness and contentment and mission and all these things that w- that bring us emotional and, and mental happiness from uh, logos, money, social status, um, and and I say that fully knowing you and I are privileged by having gone to certain schools and having certain jobs and you know um, having parents who who have you know worked hard uh for their own careers but also have provided for these things right and i think um there's a lot of unhappy well educated people out there and there's a lot of extremely happy and um you know content people who didn't go to those schools and i i understand i'm not trying to take anything away from people's accomplishments right like you go to a great school celebrate it you have a great job celebrate it but you know don't replace your self-worth and particularly don't insert the idea that somebody, particularly your children's self-worth and identity should only be in those external validation sort of metrics. And I think that's another thing. And maybe perhaps not, it's not certain academic or company logos, but in this next generation, it is being replaced with social media metrics of follower count and of Who's doing what online and, you know, are you participating in certain trends or, you know, wearing the right thing or, you know, all these things that I think really happen to have, you know, have more to do with how other people view you and judge you versus how you see yourself. And it's hard because I think once you get old enough, you start to see that none of that stuff matters as much as you once thought it did. But it's really hitting the students and the young people between, like you said, that 15 to 24 age range where many of them have not had enough life experience or, you know, have enough perspective to realize that it's not that important at the end of the day. And so, um, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about it because I, again, we say this all the time, like, geez, I wish I had this to listen to when I was, you know, at a, at a younger point in my life. And I know we're predominantly talking to a parent audience today as we do on the show but uh, I think young people need to hear this too that it's okay to not be okay sometimes um and not everything has to be perfect um you know because I think we we have this sort of obsession of perfection that really doesn't mean anything um you know being you know we we're, we're thinking about taking the kids to Disneyland and you know like So he won't go to school one day, right? And I just remember how even the school system incentivized these perfect attendance awards so much so that, like, parents would send their kids to school when they weren't feeling physically well just so that they can get that award because it meant something. And I think that's crap, right? Like, I mean, if you're sick, you should stay home, Right.
1: Well, I think that's changing because of
0: COVID, isn't it? <laughs> well, of course, but even but you know under normal circumstances, right? Like, it's okay to just let your kid stay home for no reason whatsoever, other than that he needs a break, right? Um, even if he is four, and even if the, the the remedy is going to Disneyland for a day, like, um, I, I hope we get better at this, and I think you know as as we did in the last episode, looking at statistics. And talking to professionals like you who can interpret these statistics is a very important, one of the very many things that we can do, but a really important way to address and and put a light on these things. Because um, if the numbers shock you, 14%, like that's one out of seven kids, one out of six kids, that should really concern all of us. Um, Because I think when we hear statistics, we always think we're exempt from it or that can't be us um
1: yeah you know one of the things that i also want to emphasize today um uh, for parents is that um coming into mental health treatment doesn't mean that they're gonna have to get on medication they're gonna have to see a psychiatrist a lot of times especially under eighteen, in population all they need is kind of um what some, what some people call counseling but therapy right um and therapy is basically um you know, it's a black box for a lot of people, they don't know what it means, but it just means you're learning life skills. Um, you know, uh, um, the therapists are well equipped to kind of teach them, um, well, emotional identification, but also how to deal with these feelings um, that may be very overwhelming for a young adults and children. I also want to tell you that as a, somebody who does that therapy, and sometimes medication and a, I, I, unfortunately, I've had kids as young as five years old. Um, You know, if, if there is a dire need for medication, um, it's not that they're going to be on it forever. Uh, Almost all kids uh, get off medication. They they, sometimes I think of it as a booster, and um, to help them feel better. And so A lot of these things um you just need to kind of learn and discuss it with the appropriate provider who are able to tell you um and answer your questions and concerns i think it's it's not something that is very scary um to me that's i think that's number one message i want to give out today because um i i you know as a parent too myself if i had to bring my child in it is a very scary time and i want um i want most people parents to feel like this is not the end of the world um this is just a stepping stone to help your parent help your child to become a successful person in life
0: No, thanks for that and as somebody who is uh not a mental health professional and not even a doctor or any sort of licensed medical person i i want to encourage people because i see a lot of, out there when it comes to mental health um my simple ask and continued reminder on the show is to seek people from who know what they're talking about to seek people from i'm, I'm sorry because there's a lot of folks who i think well-intentioned are um talking about very very uh tough issues and you know i, I think we've seen in the last year um people who uh have the false confidence to have opinions on, on medical issues. Uh, We saw it with COVID. We see it with masking now. Um, And perhaps they're more economically driven folks who are commenting on what really should be a health issue. And mental health is a health issue. And I really appreciate all that's being happening in, not just in our community, but across the board to encourage people to talk about it. But, you know, if if you need help, if you feel like you need to talk to somebody, seek somebody who is capable of doing that in a way that won't cause further harm. Um, and so, you know, take take that for what it's worth. Um, and I know it, it's daunting sometimes to go seek out help, and uh, it is not weakness. Uh, take it from a guy who was supposed to be this macho guy in college that you know went to seek help and um, you know had mixed, obviously, results about it, but at least do it. Um, Because it's uh, it's powerful to ask for help, Um, and especially of something that we don't understand. And so uh, as as we transition next month, uh, tomorrow into Pride Month, as we talk about other issues at the intersectionality of our collective Korean American identity, raising children who might be experiencing life slightly in a different way uh we we wish you rest we wish you um health um in many parts of the country where uh we're seeing uh mandates being completely lifted um it is cause for concern for so many of us who still think about uh the impacts of covid not just in our daily lives but for our communities and so uh yeah and just be take care of yourselves folks uh reach out if you need help reach out if you want referrals to people who can further help you with some of these topics uh we want to be here as a resource for you um to to help um obvious disclaimer uh, anything that we've shared with you particularly from jang is not medical advice um, unless you are under her care as a doctor this was not treatment should not be taken as medical advice and you are not under her care as a doctor so uh Seek help as you need it. Reach, us, reach out to us for help if you do. Um, and thank you for listening. I know that some of these things are not easy to talk about, especially for myself. I didn't grow up with any of this. And so for me to think about what it means for me, but also how I want to raise my kids uh, in a positive way, um, you know, uh, we're glad we're doing this together. So, Cenk, thank you for providing your expertise and your thoughts as always. Uh, we will see you next week in June as we uh, celebrate Pride Month here on Current American Parenting.